Well, good morning, church. I'm glad to have the privilege of opening God's Word with you this morning. I had a first and first service today. I said good morning, and I, I still don't know who it is. They wouldn't acknowledge it. Somebody asked how I was doing, which I thought was very nice of them, just randomly to, to shout that out here. Uh, I'm doing well. Glad to be able to do this um, as, as we continue our series looking at some of the core values of our church here. Um, some of you already on your way in today may have grabbed a bulletin, and if you grabbed it and, and looked a little carefully, you might have noticed that on the back, there's a bit of a new section. We, we added this week, and, and we'll be looking at doing this probably once a month moving forward, a place to highlight um, some of our committed ministry volunteers and, and the work that they're doing. Now, now, the point of this is not to like point at individuals and say, man, look, look how great this person is. Look at them. They're awesome. Even though we do have a lot of really awesome people here who, frankly, this place would not be able to run without. But, but the point it is not to, to point you to people and see how awesome they are, but rather for us to be able to, as a church, look at what God is doing through our people's service here at New Life. Because if you've been paying attention to the banners that we've had up for a number of weeks, one of our core values is passionate service. I kind of want us to work this morning on a bit of a broad definition of service um, right, obviously, we're thinking about organized service within the church, right? Serving on ministry teams, your name's on a list, we send you some emails, that kind of stuff. Um, but I also want us to be thinking about more of that informal service around here, just when you show up on a Sunday and just love people well as you're enjoying your time worshiping together, fellowshipping together. Thinking as well about how we serve within our families, how we serve our friends, the people around us, and even how we serve faithfully in our jobs right? The places where God has called us. Wherever this is, we believe that God calls Christians to be a people of service. But even though there is this broadness to it, we really do want to zoom in a bit on the fact that it's a core value of our church. It's very important in a church that we are a people who serve. And I've, I've seen this just really clearly in my own life. Um, back when I was in Bible school, my school had a really good rule which was that uh, as long as you were on campus, you had to attend a church. But, but more than that, they made you commit essentially to one per year there. So they gave you four weeks when you showed up on campus, and by the end of September, you had to submit to the staff where you were going to attend church that year. And so over my three years, um, for eight months of the year, I went to the same church, the Church of the Open Bible in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, every week for eight months for three years. But I never really served. I kind of did what, what most of the Bible school students did, which was we slipped in about two minutes before the service started, and we slipped out pretty much as quickly as we could after and then went to McDonald's so that we could have some fast food, and then we went back and did homework all afternoon. Yeah, right. Um, but, but something that I've noticed as I look back now, if you were to ask me how many churches I've attended or which churches I've attended, that one would not even come to mind even though for 24 months out of my life, I was there pretty much every Sunday. I would think of the church that I grew up in. I would think of a church that I interned at for four months, which is not really much time at all compared to the 24 months that I was at Church of the Open Bible. And of course, I would think of here. Now contrast that to my wife, same school, same policy that she had to follow, um, arriving and committing to a church called Restoration House. But my wife, uh, being far more servant-hearted than I, committed herself to 
be a part of the life of that church. And over her three years, she was involved in the music ministry. She was involved in the kids' ministry. And to this day, I mean, she speaks so highly of that church. She felt so involved. She felt so loved. She still talks about some of the kids who she taught in Sunday school while she was there. And so what I've noticed as her and I have compared our experiences is that serving together is actually one of the ways in which we become knit together as a church community. Right, it's easy to, to slip in right before the service and to kind of slip out and hope to talk to no one on your way out. But, but the real relationships, our real work together is formed in the trenches when we're working together for the sake of the gospel. And so as we've done this whole series, we'll spend two weeks on passionate service. Today, this week, we'll be kind of focusing high level, kind of our theological grounding as we work out this idea. And then next week, Howard will, will talk to us about a little bit more of the practical elements of this. But as we try to look at the high level of service today, I just want to simply answer three questions this morning. So those three questions are, why do we serve? How do we serve? Or who do we serve? And how do we serve? So we'll jump right in on that first question. Why do we as Christians serve? Why should we serve? And I want to start with a negative answer. I want to tell us why we shouldn't, because we need to be clear this morning that we do not serve in order to earn a right standing with God, right? The, the fear in preaching a sermon like this is that it will leave some of you, and frankly, the people who it would leave feeling this way are probably the most committed and most involved people. You might walk out of here feeling guilty, weighed down, like you're just not doing enough, and on the very bad end of that, feeling like if you just did a bit more, God would like you more. We're not doing that today. That, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the point of Christian service. So, so New Life Church, as I hope you've heard many times, believes that the core message of the Bible is the gospel. You've heard us summarize it. I'll summarize it again. This, this message that God created the world and everything in it is good that he created us to be in relationship with him and to worship him as his beloved creation, that, that, he, or that we went and rejected his rule, that we sinned against him and chose our own way, but yet that God in grace sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sin so that by repentance and faith in him, we could once again be made right with God. Now, now you'll notice something, that even in that very short summary of the message of the gospel, it really doesn't require anything of you. It requires belief, sure, but, but that's not really a thing. It's, it's belief. It's not an action. It's not a long list of things that you must do in order to be made right with God. It's not, you know, pray this many prayers or, or clean your life up and then come and, and, and maybe that'll work. Or here's a whole list of religious rituals, right? You've got to get through the initiation in order to be made right with God. It's none of that. Because whereas other religions tell you what to do. They give you a list of things to, to make God like you more, to, to make it more likely that you will get into, into heaven or reincarnate as something better or, or whatever it may be. Other religions say do, but the gospel says done. It, it doesn't seek to point us to, to what we ought to do, to a whole new list of tasks, to look at ourselves in order to be right with God. Rather, it points us to the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Right? Jesus did not say, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you a whole new list of things that you can do. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so we have to start here this morning. 
We, we have to kind of get our heads on straight so that we don't leave here with the wrong idea. Because there is a bit of a tension here. And the tension is this. While we do not affect our standing before God by our works, our works are the evidence that our standing before God has changed. The Apostle James, in some very well-known verses, says in chapter 2 of his book, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay, so James's point here is not to say that, that we need faith plus works. This isn't like weird Christian math, like I have 75 faith and 25 works and that adds up to 100, so I'm good. His point is rather that if we have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, we will, not can, not should, we will do good works. Or, or to use a pithy saying that I've heard from others, Faith alone saves, but a saving faith is never alone. Okay, so this has to be foundational for us this morning, because unless we really are, are grounded on this today, what we're going to do is we're going to leave here, we're going to go and we're going to feel guilty about serving, we're going to serve a whole bunch more, and we're going to do it with such poor motivation <laughs> that it really doesn't work out like proper Christian service. So we need to be grounded on, on the reality that we serve because of what has been done for us and not in order to make God like us more. It's silly. So that's the negative answer. We, we don't serve in order to earn salvation, but I want to give you two positive answers to why we do serve. And the first of those is that service is worship, right? So in the first two weeks of this series, we focused on wholehearted worship. And as we learned in those two weeks, Everything in our lives as Christians flows from this. Our lives as Christians ought to be lives of worship. We don't worship on Sundays and then go do everything else. Every moment, every action is to be an act of worship towards our King. And one of the ways in which Christians worship is through service. This connection between worship and service, it's all over the Bible. It's especially clear in the Old Testament and very uniquely, not uniquely, very especially um, in, in a passage that a lot of you have the final section probably on your wall at home somewhere. It's in Joshua chapter 24, uh, just to, to kind of stick us in the biblical story here for, for a moment. So Israel has conquered the, the promised land that God had given to them. They've divided it up between all the territories as God has pr had promised for them. And then their leader, Joshua, stands before them and he has them renew their covenant with God. But, but listen to how he talks about what it means to be in covenant relationship with God. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
So that's the question he puts before them, is, is who are you going to serve? Who will you give your life and your time to? Or, or to borrow the language of Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we focused on in those first couple of weeks. Who will you give yourself as a living sacrifice to? Right, we see this. He, the question that he's really asking is, who are you going to worship? So in a lot of ways, this, this core value of service is simply an outworking of our first value of worship. Because a people of worship are a people who serve. So that's one answer of why we serve. The second is that we serve as a reflection of the gospel. Well, one of my biggest concerns, um, I mean, especially for, for myself as a pastor, we're specifically, I think, susceptible to this, but, but also just to, to, for Christians in general, is that we are so exposed to the most glorious truths in all of reality, right? The Bible puts things before us that are almost incomprehensible, the, the grace and goodness of God towards us, but we hear them so often that they can kind of become normal to us. They just, they feel mundane. These things that, that every time we hear them should blow our minds, we just kind of shrug and go, well, well, of course, of course God loves me. Of course he sent his son to die to pay the penalty of my sin. Of course he did that. This is, is one of those truths this morning. One of those that if you don't think about it for a minute, will just feel mundane. But, but be reminded today that the God of the universe came down to serve. He did not have to do that. Right? I mean, he would have been completely within his rights to crush a rebellious world. Could have done it. It would have been completely right for him to. We are his creation, but we became rebels. We, we rejected him, and yet in order to purchase a people for himself, he willingly came down to serve us and to save us. This is what Jesus says of himself in Mark chapter 10. Verse 45, he says, even the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So for those of us who have put our faith in him, the only way of life that makes sense is to reflect Jesus' servant-heartedness to those around us. It's to show the world how he served by trying to reflect that in our own lives. It communicates an element of the gospel that we say we believe. So that's the answer to question number one. Why do we serve? We serve as a reflection of the gospel and because it is an act of worship towards our God that evidences our faith in him. So second question this morning, who do we serve? Now this probably feels like a dumb question because I literally just told you that service is worship and so it follows then that we serve God. That's correct, but the Bible actually presents us with, with a slightly more nuanced view of our service. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is standing before the, uh, the Areopagus. It was this essentially uh, collection of Greek intellectuals who would debate the philosophies of the day. And Paul got a hearing and he came with an opportunity to essentially contrast the true God to their false gods. Uh, and if you know anything about Greek mythology, you know that, that much of, of their story has to do with human beings doing things for the gods, in some cases that they didn't want to do, in some cases that they didn't want to do for themselves. And so Paul takes his opportunity to show them what the true God is like. And starting in verse 24, he says, 
The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Human hands can't actually serve God. Okay, wait, but didn't Joshua like just call the people to serve the Lord? Yes, but, but this is the nuance. We need to kind of remember what service is for all this to make sense. So, so very short, easy definition is that, that service is providing someone with something they need or want and don't have, right? So, so we might serve a homeless individual by buying them a meal. We might serve a neighbor by shoveling their sidewalk in the winter. We might serve the kids of New Life Church by, by helping teach them in Sunday school. We might serve our spouse by picking up some of their work around the house during a particularly busy time for them. In every case, what you are doing when you serve is providing an individual with something they don't have, whether that's food or a clean sidewalk or teaching or time. And that's precisely why God is not served by human hands. He needs nothing, right? God owns everything. He lacks nothing. We, we can't actually give our time to God because he owns our days, but we can give our time to other individuals who are finite, just like us. We can't actually give our money to God because it's his in the first place. But we can give our money to those who need it, or to organizations like churches, charities. We can't provide God with something that he needs because he doesn't need anything. He has it all. But we can meet the needs of those around us. And, and so the answer to the question of who we serve is that, yes, we absolutely, we do serve God, but we do so by serving the people around us, our, our fellow church members, our friends, our families, our neighbors, our coworkers, and if we want to truly be like the Lord Jesus, even our enemies. We render service to God and worship him by giving of ourselves to those around us. If any of you are like me, you've probably had the question cross your mind before of why, when I get saved, does God not just zap me up into heaven, right? Like the world sucks, people are sinful, everything's broken, and if we're going to be honest, the longer I'm here means the more that I sin and I'm grieved and I do a poor job of obeying the Lord, so why not just bring me up, be done with it all? And this really is a good question, especially if we aren't quite getting our understanding of Christian service right. Because if my Christian life is just about me and Jesus, then that would be a totally logical thing to happen. I put my faith in Christ, I'm good, I'm gone. But if our Christian life is not just about me and Jesus and actually is about serving others and reflecting the gospel, then it gives us a really compelling answer to that question. Why doesn't God just zap us up? Well, because we are here to serve other people, to, to serve as Christ has served. And so, as we do that, right, as we serve those around us, our service has two effects. Firstly, as we've already seen, it acts as worship. It is an act of worship to God when we serve other people. But secondly, it points others to him. Matthew chapter 5, during the Sermon on the Mount, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says, you, speaking to Christians, or his disciples, I guess more specifically here, you are 
the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So as we serve others, if we are doing it rightly, if we are serving as Christians, the goal is that they don't see us and glorify us, but rather that they see our God. They see that we have been transformed by his grace, and as a result of that, we live for their sake. And this can be true anywhere, right? I mean, in the church, right? As people feel God's love for them through your encouragement, through you coming alongside them, mourning with them, rejoicing with them, God is glorified through your service. In your family, as your children or siblings see you modeling the servanthood of Jesus. With some of your non-believing friends, as they see you as a Christian live a life of radical patience and forgiveness. And even in your workplace, as you go in every day, no matter how mundane and meaningless your job might feel to you, it is an opportunity to point others to your God. A man once said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Now, with no disrespect to the individual who said this, I think he was doing really good with this quote until the last line, and so I offer my correction. If you are called to be a street sweeper, you should sweep the streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause and say, here lived a street sweeper who had a great God. So who do we serve? We serve those around us for the Lord's sake, or we could say we serve the Lord by serving others to worship and to point others to him. Final question this morning, how do we serve? I'm going to do something a little bit unusual. I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture. <laughs> uh, if you have your Bible with you, it might be helpful to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, frankly, I, I just trust that God's word is more clear than me, uh, and that even as I will, after reading, make some brief observations of this text, if we read the whole chunk, there's a chance for the Lord to kind of speak more directly to you through these words. Uh, just one last comment as some of you get over there in your Bibles. Um, there is a bit of a shift here, right? To this point, we've been talking about service to the world, to, to individuals around us. As we get into 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is now talking specifically about service within the church, how we as one body work together for Christ's sake. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to start reading in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. 
All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our, unrepresentable, our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So I just want to make three observations from this text, again, hoping that, that there was more that stuck out to you as we read it together. The first is that when we serve, we serve acknowledging that our gifts come from God. So, so hear this, Christian. You have been given gifts by God for the sake of service. But the key is that he has given them to you, right? The whole idea of being a self-made person, it's a myth. It's not real. Yes, absolutely, we, we practice and hone the gifts that we have, but we must do so in a way that, that understands that no matter how good, how great, how excellent you get at something, that is God's gift to you. He gives, he can take away. And if that's the case, it means three things. It first means that pride has no place in our service. Right? So if this is the reality, if everything that I am good at, everything that I'm capable of doing, comes to me as a gift from my Heavenly Father, that means that, that rather than my service being an opportunity for me to, to, to puff out my chest and go, look how good I am at this. See this thing that I've become so excellent at. It's actually an opportunity for me to humbly go before the Lord in gratitude that he has given me the ability to do this for the sake of the church. So pride has no place. Second thing that this means is that we need to be good stewards. If God has given it to you, he has given it to you so that you would use it. Now, this doesn't mean everywhere all the time, right? It's not like you have to identify everything that you're a little bit gifted at and find ways to use it here. That, that's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is that, that God doesn't give us anything without purpose. If you are a Christian who is a part of a church and he has made you good at something, he has made you good at it for the sake of this body. That's the reality that Paul presents us with. Third thing, 
This means that no gift is too small or insignificant because God doesn't give us gifts for no reason. Even if you look at your own life and the only things that you can identify feel not that helpful, like you can't clearly see how they would be a blessing to the people around you, we trust that God doesn't make mistakes and that he can use even these things that feel so small in our minds to accomplish great things for his purposes. So even if you don't feel like you are a particularly gifted individual, know that God has purposes for you, that he's brought you to this church or to the church that you normally attend with that gifting for a reason. Second large observation of this text is that we serve according to our gifts for the sake of the church. And so I say again, Christian, you have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit to use as a part of this church. One mistake that we can often make is that we think that the lists that Paul gives in the New Testament are exhaustive. Like he just is only thinking about these 20 things that God makes us good at, and we need to like find a way to fit the things that we're good at into one of those categories and then work it out that way. I don't think that's Paul's intention at all. And if it was, he wrote them in some weird ways because sometimes he leaves gifts off here and adds them on here, or he lists two that sound really, really similar and we can't really tell what would be different about them. So, so rather than trying to say, okay, Christians, here's the list, figure it out. I think the point he's trying to make is God has given a whole bunch of different gifts to his people so that they can serve. So if you're good at sewing sow to the glory of God, sow to serve this congregation and others around you. If you're good at working with your hands, use that to love others well, to, to do work they can't do for themselves and to show them the love of God. If you're good with finances, use that gifting to help others grow in that area. If you're good with tech, use that gift to reflect the love of Christ to a very large amount of people who need tech support. Because this is the thing, if we're just thinking about this very specific list of gifts, we can get very caught up in, in trying to find a formal role at a church somewhere where we can fit into one of those categories and use it. But I'll be honest, I'm one of the pastors here. I, I watch all of you. I see what you do when you're here on Sundays. That sounded creepy. That's fine. <laughs> Some of you who you maybe serve in other formal roles, but I watch on Sunday morning as in informal ways, you come here and you serve. You see people. You see that newcomer who's trying to hide somewhere in the back, and you identify them, and you go and you talk to them, and you make them feel welcome. Or, or as you're sitting, you, you look across, and you can just tell that somebody here isn't doing well. And after the service, you find them, put your arm around them, you encourage them, and you pray for them. Or, or you see somebody struggling to to get their coat off and find their seat, or, or maybe that the, the parking lot is slippery. And again, I see this. You run out there with a shovel and you start cleaning it up yourselves. These are the type of gifts that God has given us for the sake of the body. These basic forms of service that are informal, they almost feel second nature to some of us, but this is how he has gifted us to build up our church, both formally and informally. You are serving in your gifting. One quick word of caution on serving according to our gifts. This does not always mean serving where I'm comfortable, where I think I'm good at, or where I want to, right? Sometimes, I might even hazard to say often, the Lord equips us for things that scare us, 
things that we don't want to do. That happened for me here. For, for those of you who were part of my hiring process, you might remember some of those early questions. Um, the, the drums is my main instrument. That, that's what I've played for most of my life. That's where I feel the most comfortable. And so as I was interviewing for this position, the question was asked, so do you play other instruments? And yeah, I play the acoustic guitar. Do you sing? Kind of. Um, do you feel like you could lead on a Sunday morning? And the exact answer that I gave in the inter interview was, in a pinch, maybe. Uh, and I started on staff on October 1st of 2020, and I believe it was November 10th of 2020 that we went into a full lockdown, and for the next 12 weeks, our online services were me with my acoustic guitar singing into a mic to go online. <laughs> Frankly, I I'm still pretty uncomfortable up here when I do that. That's not really the place that I feel I'm doing my best. Singing into a mic is just not a thing that I love, but the Lord has given me the ability to do it. So even though I'm uncomfortable, I step in and I serve there anyways. So, so be careful about using the phrase, oh, that's, that's just not my gifting, as an excuse not to serve. Be willing to step in, to try things, and see if the Lord will not only equip you, but grow a passion in you for something you never would have expected. Second half of this point, though, right? We, we serve according to our gifts for the sake of the church. Verse 7 of chapter 12 is really key to what Paul is getting at. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The gift that you have been given has not been given to you for your sake. You don't have it for you. You have it for the sake of the church. And so if, if your gifting becomes something where you become demanding and requiring that people let you serve in a certain way, or so that you would feel fulfilled, or so that you would feel like you're in an area where you can really show off, you're not serving in a Christian way. That's not why God has given us gifts. If our gifts become a distraction from the gospel, if our gifts become about drawing attention to ourselves, we're being poor stewards. We are failing to use them as God would have us. They exist for one another not for us. What this means is that all of the gifts in this church, every one of them, have been given by God for the sake of building up this body. It's why he's given them to you. It's for the sake of the people around you. Right now, look around. Those people, that's who he has gifted you to serve. Final observation. We serve as those who need one another. I love the mental image that, that Paul gives us in this text. Right? So, so it starts out really clean, really good. It, it's the picture of a body, right? A body that's going to function needs all of its parts to be working together. If my legs right now decided that they didn't want to play nice, this would not go particularly well anymore as I'm laying in a puddle on the floor trying to continue preaching, right? Our bodies need to work together. So then he kind of takes this, this illustration to a bit of a hilarious extreme, like, what is a pile of eyeballs going to do? Tell me how useful that is. They're going to roll around and get stepped on. What, right? What's a pile of ears going to do? What's a pile of hands going to do? Nothing. They're useless alone. When there's only a whole pile of one gift, it's not a functional body. And so even in this church, or sorry, every gift in this church is needed. The, the eyeballs, the hands, the feet, the ears, the mouth, all of it is needed. 
whether in formal, organized ways or informal ways, just building up one another through community. This also means that none of us has the best or most important gift. And we need to be really, really careful about giving too much attention to the people who stand up here. Because these are not the most important gifts. That, that's not how a body works. All of it is necessary for the body to function. We, we need to be careful not to honor people who serve publicly to the neglect of those who serve in quieter ways, behind the scenes. Like, great, I'm, I'm up here on this platform. I'm preaching, right? I, I'm, I'm up here almost every week. But, but here's the reality. This is great. God has given me the ability to preach for your good. Awesome. If it was really cold in here right now, most of you probably would have left at this point, but uncomfortable, hard to, hard to listen, hard to learn. We need Craig to fix things, to, to keep the building running, right? Or if you came in and your chair was all stained with who knows what, there were broken coffee cups laying everywhere, that would be distracting. You wouldn't be able to respond in the same way to the truth. We need Tracy to be cleaning. If my voice wasn't loud enough for you to hear, not going to be super helpful. We need Caitlin up at the soundboard doing that work. We need Rob working, keeping my slides up so that you can see the verses that I'm referencing. All of these behind-the-scenes people serve the purpose of the church, not behind me, but along with me. They, they are necessary for the work. Everything that happens up here, everything that happens behind the scenes are members of the body, helping it to run properly for the sake of the gospel. And so we serve together all of us. And we ought to seek to show honor to those who work in the small ways, the ways that it seem invisible. Because if we want to go back to, to Paul's vision of a body here, um, I can't see any of your lungs right now, right? They are invisible to me. But if your lungs stopped working, good luck. So we need to serve understanding that all of us need one another in order to be effective for the sake of the gospel. And we must be intentional in honoring those who serve in less noticeable ways. There's one individual from my home church that, as I was working this week, just kept coming to mind. His name was Brent, and, and when I was a kid, I thought he was super old in retrospect. I think he's like five or ten years older than my parents. I hope he doesn't watch this. Um, but, but Brent was never in any major leadership position within the church. Uh, I can't ever recall him being on the platform uh, I actually don't think I can even recall him ever speaking in a public setting. Brent just loved to serve. And, and also, and, and you'll kind of see some of this at the end, he, he was amazing at interacting with kids, even though he never taught Sunday school. So, you know, a lot of you were, were in church life in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. Lots of banquets, lots of potlucks, all those kind of events were, were very common. And Brent was the guy. You knew if there was a banquet or a potluck, he was helping. Didn't matter where they needed him, he was going to be there. He was going to put so many hours in, and almost always, to, to really no accolades, no praise. Even after our adult Sunday school classes, someone always had to stay behind and wash the coffee mugs. And, and to my recollection, every time I can think of looking into our kitchen, it was Brent. But even that, so, so serving in, in that clear way, he was really good at just helping. But also, and these are the things we don't always think about, he just, he, he saw children, and he liked seeing kids have fun. 
And so I, I have memories of, of my parents sticking around to help clean up after banquets and you know, a, a bored eight or nine year old just don't know what to do with myself. And we had those, uh, those disposable tablecloths, kind of like the vinyl that would come on the big roll of cardboard. And Brent would find me and some of the other kids with the big cardboard tube and he would give it to us to use as, as swords. And uh, we would have a lot of fun. But it was so simple, right? That this was not some, some great and grand act. This was simply him being an, a, an individual who was gifted in, in seeing children and knowing what they would have fun with and just finding a way to step in and meet that need. And, and to this day, I remember beating my cousin with a cardboard tube that Brent gave me. That, but that's the impact, that just serving in those little ways. He is an example to me of the selfless care, the selfless service of our Lord Jesus. So just to put this all together, I want to give you a very long, very long definition of Christian service. Um, if you want to write this down, you might want to start right away. Uh, Rob, if you want to put this up for me. So Christian service is serving the Lord by serving others according to our gifts for the sake of the church and others around us as an act of worship that points others to God. Christian service is serving the Lord by serving others according to our gifts for the sake of the church and others around us as an act of worship that points others to God. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want to take an opportunity to, to introduce uh, an opportunity that we have for service. The, this is the Sunday. Uh, for those of you who, who have been around New Life Church, you know that every year we have a Christmas project of some sort. And, and over the last few years, we've made it our goal with our Christmas project to kind of have a two-pronged approach. We want to have one part of it that focuses globally, right? Beyond our borders, looking around the world for needs that we can meet. But we also want to have a focus that is local, in our community, just a, a clear opportunity for us to show care, to reflect the love of Christ to those around us. So we're doing that again this year. So the global side of our Christmas project, um, because this is being streamed and everything's accessible on the internet, it's kind of limiting in how much I can say. Um, if you want more details, you can come talk to me more specifically. But we are raising $6,000, hopefully, for um, a safe house and training center in the Middle East that helps serve, equip, and train persecuted church leaders. For those of you who were here a number of weeks back and heard Rick and Julie's presentation, that would be the same place that we're talking about. They were just there. If you weren't there, talk to Rick and Julie. The stories are amazing. Um, what they saw, the, the people that they got to meet. So we want to raise $6,000, which is going to help them kind of wrap up the project there. But, but what I love is that that $6,000 for them is the equivalent of bringing 20 leaders from the persecuted church in for training. It costs them about $300 a person to get them up there, to keep them for a week, to feed them. And so we have an opportunity to serve the persecuted church in a really practical way by helping these leaders get trained up, by sending trained people back in to encourage, to build up believers who frankly have gone through far more in months of being Christians than any of us will go through in our lifetimes. So that's the global side. And so that one, if the Lord has gifted you financially, that's a great way to contribute. We'd love if you would devote some of your finances to helping these persecuted church leaders. But on the local side, we just wanted to essentially offer you an opportunity 
to, to think about how you can serve those around you. And so initially, uh, our plan was to make very fake looking, because it's illegal otherwise, $20 bills. Um, and to, to give those out to every one of you kind of as a uh, get out of giving money to New Life Church pass. And we were going to say to use, you know, $20 that you might have given to the church in some way to bless others around you. But as we thought about it more, we realized, hey, this is actually kind of the point is that we're all gifted in different ways. And so for some of us, finances are not that way. It's, it's tight. It's not that easy just to, to go spend $20. Plus, around this time of the year, the ways that we serve can't always be quantified with money, right? Like, like what is $20 worth of shoveling my neighbor's sidewalk or baking them, right? Ever, right? The, the, the money just wasn't quite the best connection there. So instead, what we have is on the tables on your way out, we'd encourage you to grab just these little brown pieces of paper. In fact, I think, Rusty, do you have one? Yeah. You don't anymore. Okay, they're, they're on the tables. You'll see them. You won't miss them. Just these little brown pieces of paper. They, they look like nice wrapping paper, really nicely made. Um, and we want you, over the next month, to grab one of those and just pray. Think about how you can serve someone around you as a way to reflect God's love to them, right? So that they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so whether that's a friend, a coworker, a family member, an enemy, that one person at work you just can't stand, maybe this is the chance to bridge that gap a little bit and to show them Christ's enemy-loving love. So just to grab one of those over the next few weeks, find an opportunity to serve. And we just encourage you to write what you did on there. And starting next week, we'll have a, a box up here where you can deposit those. And come Christmas Eve, we just want to celebrate together some of the ways in which God's love was reflected to our community through our people just serving in the ways that God has made them able to. So I just want to pray now for this Christmas project as we launch it and for us as a congregation as we step in to serve, and then we'll sing one final song this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you call us to serve, not to earn your favor, not to earn salvation, but rather to respond to what you have done, that, that all that is needed for our sake has been accomplished in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, now as we go from here as a people who you have called to serve as a response to what has been done for us, we just ask that you would give us wisdom that you would help us to see the best opportunities to serve the people around us in a way that will point them to you. Father, I just pray for boldness for this congregation, and I pray for a receptiveness from the people that they will serve, that this would spawn questions and opportunities for conversations. Lord, we ask that, that this small act of service, these many small acts of service, would be for people the, the first step for them towards seeing the beauty of our Lord Jesus and putting their faith in him. So Lord, we just ask that you would equip us for the service that you have called us to. You have promised to do it. We ask that you would keep that promise for us and that we would just get to see the great ways in which you are equipping individuals in this body to build us up and to serve those around us. Amen.